0: It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we continue our reflections into Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth, right? Last week, we wrapped up our 51-episode study on Paul's first letter to the Church of Corinth, and as we were rolling along, we did get a chance to get Paul's second letter started, right? And I do want to go back to some of the things we talked about in our opening reflection on the second letter uh, to the Corinthians, and in particular, Paul's salutation. One of you asked me, Paul's vocation, Paul's story, Paul's narrative is so dramatic. I mean, can it really be applied to us? And yes, absolutely, sure. Paul was very dramatic, and his vocation was entirely unique. Nevertheless, we can certainly say his example is relevant to all of us. If you are a Christian, St. Paul, not only, of course, in his teaching, but also in his vocation, also in his identity, it is relevant. It is not easy to be a devoted spouse. It is not always easy to be a loving parent. It is not easy to be, maybe for some of you who are a priest or a religious, a faithful priest or religious, or for that matter, a person of integrity who attempts to bring Christian values to the workplace. It's not easy, and Paul shows us how to do it does he not certainly all around us we can take note that popular media and prevalent cultural values often militate against the commitments that I just spoke of huh Paul exemplifies the importance of starting every endeavor indeed we could say starting every day by reminding ourselves and others of who we are and how God is calling us to live and so how is God calling us to live but a life of holiness. What is holiness? I get that question asked a lot. Holiness, simply defined, my friends, is to live in the presence of God. And how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, by actively participating in uh, the sacramental life of the church, of course, receiving the Eucharist, and out from that and fulfilling our baptismal vocation to do what? But to serve, to preach the Word of God in word and deed. This is what uh, holiness is all about, to live in the presence of God in word and deed. And of course, to say we are called to live in the presence of God in word and deed means that our word and deed must be anchored in what but love. Certainly something we have talked about a great deal in our reflections on St. Paul, because in St. Paul's epistles, especially First Corinthians chapter 13, do we get his great catechesis on love. So, Holiness is to live in the presence of God, to live in the presence of the God who is love, and out from that to proclaim the Word of God in word and deed, giving glory to God in all that we do. Now, last week, I also spoke to peace and joy, and I want to go back to that a little bit. I was going back to the Catholic commentary on sacred scripture, and here we are now, no longer in George Montague, but Thomas Stegman, Father Thomas Stegman, he's a Jesuit. He's a professor of theology at Boston College. He's the primary author of this commentary on sacred scripture for Second Corinthians, and he had, I thought, a beautiful point here, and I just want to read it. Uh, and again, take note of what I had talked about last week as it relates to peace and joy, these, these two spiritual fruits that are really twins of one another in so many ways. They kind of stand alone as the great spiritual fruits. He says this, One has only to visit the departments in a bookstore marked self-help, psychology counseling, or new age spirituality to find numerous books that claim to hold the keys to peace and joy. The number and popularity of such books reflects people's desire to find happiness and peace. I mean, can we not agree with him there? One of the things I've noticed recently over at Barnes & Noble is that the religion section is getting smaller And the new age section, this self help section is getting bigger. What's wrong with that, my friends? Essentially, you are removing God from how to get better. And it just doesn't work that way. Only until we come to understand who we are in the light of who God is will we begin to help ourselves in who we are and where we are going. Very important uh, what Father Stegman is saying here. And certainly, Paul's prayer. Uh, for the Corinthians, teaches us a crucially fundamental truth in this connection, that true peace along with joy is a gift from God. In other words, we could say we do not find peace and joy, per se. They find us, right? We don't find God. God finds us, right? So we don't find peace and joy, Peace and joy find us, but they only find us when we open ourselves to receive God's grace and, of course, live according to his plan. Indeed, when we talk about peace and joy, we are talking about two of those great spiritual fruits. I was just talking about holiness to live in the presence of God. Well, if you're living in the presence of God, then you're living in the spirit of God. And if you're living in the spirit of God, then you will be abiding in these great fruits, right? These great fruits of peace and joy. Okay, so very important. I know we got through verses 1 to 7 last week, but I did want to tidy up a few pieces, uh, especially as you sent me a few questions. All right, let us now go back to 2 Corinthians, and I will go ahead and read, let's see here, verses 8 to 11. So if you have your Bibles out there, if you want to turn to the second letter of St. Paul to Corinthians, to the Corinthians, and I will go ahead and read verses 8 to 11, some very very important verses here. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed, that we despaired of life itself. Why we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from so deadly a peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us in answer to many prayers. All right, so some important verses there. What can we say? Well, for starters, we have to appreciate these opening words. We do not want you to be unaware. This phrase Uh, serves to convey the importance of what follows as Paul begins to inform the Corinthians about something they do not yet know. And what is it they don't know? His afflictions. Now, we have talked about this to some degree um, because he has spoken of his afflictions, but he wants to let them know about another affliction for a particular reason. So, he discloses an affliction that came to him in the province of Asia. Now, Asia was a Roman province that lay east of Corinth, right, across the Aegean Sea, in what is now what we know Western Turkey, its capital was what? Ephesus, huh? Ephesus. So we know from Acts 19 that Paul ministered there for over two years after he had founded the community in Corinth. So the affliction was so severe that he was, what did he say? Utterly weighed down beyond his strength, so that he despaired even of life itself. The situation was so desperate that Paul felt as if he had been given a sentence of death. And be rest assured, my friends, St. Paul is not speaking lightly here. He's not embellishing in untruth. No, he's speaking plainly and certainly truthfully. Now, the essential purpose of Paul's disclosure is found in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 9, as he reveals what he learned from the aftermath of his affliction, that he might trust not in himself— but of God. Now, this is a very important point, and one that I have spoken to in different contexts. Even last week in our special topic Thursday, where we treated Elijah, I was talking about this need to be present, how God works in our life that we might trust more in him. Now, what did we learn last week in our reflection on Elijah? Well, (laughs) recall what took place in the aftermath of Elijah's brilliant victory over Jezebel, where soon after, Elijah receives a message from Jezebel telling him of her murderous intentions. And it is there where we read Elijah was what? Afraid. Afraid. So Elijah flees south into the wilderness of the desert. And it is there where we discover his mood is one of defeat and desolation to the point where he actually wants to die. In 1 Corinthians chapter 19 verse 4, we read this, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah is about as low as he can be, and it is precisely then that God rides in and comes to his aid. What is going on here, my friends? Well, what is Saint Paul talking about? When our ego is riding high, confident in its own power and resourcefulness, it rarely reaches out to who but God but when our ego is knocked around, when our ego is uh, wounded, when our ego is powerless, it is then that God rides in. This is why Saint Paul says what he says, especially not only in this verse, but also when he boasts in his weakness. Essentially, my friends, when we feel powerful, we keep God at bay. We keep God at arm's distance. But when we feel powerless, we open the door to his knocking. Remember, God is the one who initiates. God is the protagonist. God is the one knocking on the door of our hearts. Go to Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. He's knocking on the door of our hearts. He desires to be with us. The whole spiritual life is about our desire for God matching God's desire for us. So Elijah discovers that God is encountered when, but when the activity ceases and the words stop, when the heart is sad and the stomach is filled with pangs of hunger. Only when Elijah's mind and heart are finally empty of ambition and self-promotion is God ultimately heard. And as we spoke to it last week, my friends, this is the place of authentic conversion. Once committed to conversion, the heart learns to pray in faith that space of single-hearted prayer. Elijah was a man who learned through his very dark night what it means to be single-hearted for God. So when St. Paul says what he says, that he might trust not in himself but in God, especially in the light of his infliction, he is saying that God allowed this for a reason, that the most difficult trials, the most extreme of circumstances takes place. Why? Because God allowed it. God allowed it. And so, brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in a perilous situation, cry out to God. Take heed to St. Paul's words here. Understand the importance of what he is trying to communicate here. I mean, trusting God is an extraordinary, extraordinary act of faith, and it is something we need to step into. We need to walk that path of trust. You know, people involved in ministry face a paradox, do they not? On one hand, we are expected to acquire professional skills and and grow in competence, for sure. On the other hand, we are summoned to what? Deepen our trust in God, the God whom we serve. Ministerial competence and success, maybe for some of us, can be almost seductive, especially if they lead us to depend exclusively on our own wherewithal, if you will. Similarly, ample material sources can tempt us into thinking and acting as if we are totally self-sufficient, that we no longer need God. What Paul writes to the Corinthians can serve, we could say, as a healthy antidote to such tendencies. It is always important to humbly recall our experiences of struggle, our experiences of failure and even sometimes maybe our experience of uh, despair in order to remind ourselves that we need to place our reliance and trust in God. And remember, my friends, it is God who has blessed us with the talents and abilities that we have. When we say that we are created in the image and likeness of God, that means everything has been created in the image and likeness of God. All that we are has been created in the image and likeness of God which includes, of course, our talents, the capabilities that we have been given. Now, we hone those capabilities. We hone those talents by performing them time and time again, but it is to never lose sight who endowed us with what we can do. So, how about um, verse 11, where Paul asks for help from the Corinthians, huh? The expression as you help us with prayer, sirs, certainly as an implicit request that they pray for him, right? If not explicit. In light of the preceding verses, Paul is asking them to pray that God continues to rescue them from difficulties and afflictions. We read of Paul encouraging those who he is writing to to pray for him, to pray for his ministry, to pray for his uh, preaching and teaching. Why is he encouraging those who he's writing to to pray for them? If prayer was meaningless, and I'm sure many of us at one time or another have thought that prayer is meaningless. God doesn't answer our prayers. What does God say? Persevere in prayer, huh? So we are called to pray with faith. We are called to pray with patience. God will reveal himself in time. And Paul is aware of this. And again, this is why he encourages others to pray for him. He encourages others to pray for him and his ministry because he believes that his ministry of proclaiming the gospel will result in more and more people praising and thanking God. Brothers and sisters, to neglect prayer is to neglect ministry. So to neglect prayer is to neglect what? What? Well, what did we just say? The expansion of the kingdom of God, the growth of the body of Christ, right? If it is prayer that is the foundation for what St. Paul is doing in his preaching ministry, then should we not be praying more so that the body of Christ might expand? Should not we be mindful that everything we do in our preaching and teaching, in our going to the poor, should always be rooted in prayer? We have to be present to something. We can do a lot of things. We can preach, we can teach, we can serve the poor, but if we haven't anchored ourselves in prayer, then we haven't anchored ourselves in relationship with God. And if we haven't anchored ourselves in relationship with God, how do we know that what it is we are doing is actually what God wants us to do? Not every good is a willed good. There are a great number of goods, my friends. There could be 10 goods before you. But does that mean you need to do all 10 goods? No, in point of fact, I would say Satan can actually put 10 goods before us and say, do them all. Why? Because if you're doing 10 different things all at once, you're probably not doing any one of those 10 things well. You embrace one thing (laughs) and you will do it well. Maybe two things. Pray for the willed good. Huh? Huh? there are a thousand problems in your very community, I'm sure. Does that mean that God wants you to solve all of those problems? No. He wants you to probably be present to one or two, and in so doing, you will be serving a purpose, that purpose of building up the body of Christ. Okay, so let us return to 2 Corinthians here in our reflections, and I will go ahead and read verses, let's see here, 12 to 14. For our boast is this, here we go, here's his boasting, huh? For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we have behaved in the world and still more toward you with holiness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. For we write you nothing but what you can read and understand. I hope you will understand fully as you have understood in part that you can be proud of us as we can be of you on the day of the Lord Jesus. Mm. All right. Verse 12. This language of conscience. So Paul here defends his sincerity against accusers who apparently questioned his motives for pursuing apostolic work. He's bearing testimony to his conscience. What is the conscience? Well, the the conscience is the law that is written on our heart. That law, right, which of course has been inscribed by the very love of God, the Holy Spirit, that has been written on our heart. What do we read in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 and following? The only time you hear the mentioning of the New Covenant in the Old Covenant, the New Testament in the Old Testament, is Jeremiah's great prophecy that when the Messiah comes, the law will no longer be written on stone, but inscribed upon the heart, that we have been given this gift, this gift of adoption, where we are called to cry, Abba, Father. And in so doing, we might enliven what has been inscribed upon our heart. This is what Paul bears testimony to. He doesn't have unholy motives. No, he has pure motives. What did we just talk about? All of the difficulties, all of the afflictions, all of the peril. Why does he talk about this? To get a pat on the back? No, because he wants us to understand that the deeper truth is, well, what? When our ego is riding high, we don't see God. We keep God at bay. But when we've been knocked around, we enter into God. When we experience afflictions, we enter into God. And what he wants the Corinthians to see is that he has been busy about one thing, Jesus Christ. And everything that he does, he does because he bears testimony to his conscience. You see, Paul's gospel does not stem from some kind of human ingenuity, right? He doesn't preach man's ideas. He preaches God. Paul's gospel is not Roman. It is divine. It comes from God. All right. Verse 13. For we write you nothing but what you can read and understand. I hope you will understand fully as you have understood in part. What's going on there? He's telling them that they have some of the message, and to some extent that can be helpful, but only in light of the whole. The other day I was cleaning out my kid's closet, and (laughs) We have a lot of puzzles. As many of you know, I have four kids, ages ranging from three to 11, and we have a lot of puzzles. And the puzzle pieces were everywhere. So part of cleaning out the closet was assigning my kids to a task. Finish all of these puzzles so our puzzles can be organized. And if there were 20 puzzles, 20 puzzles had half of them done. And so we had to look at the pieces and identify what pieces belong to what puzzle by color and design. And so it took them probably an hour to just separate the pieces. And only once they separated the pieces could they begin to put the puzzle back together. And what was interesting is we could do that because we had at least part of the puzzle done. But even my youngest, my three-year-old, had this ambition to complete the puzzle. Why? Because only half of it was done. She wanted to, to see what the whole picture looked like. You see, my friends, what St. Paul is doing here in his second letter to the Church of Corinth, as he really is doing in all of his epistles, is completing the puzzle. They have a sense of what the faith is about, but with his robust intellect, he's showing them the complete puzzle. You are doing it this way, and some of that is good. You need to do it that way in the light of the whole revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is what will bring you peace and joy. This is what Paul is saying. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> it was fun to see my kids complete all of these puzzles. There was a sense of accomplishment and even a sense of uh, joy. You know, they had an extra kick in their step, and that's what you have when you, when you finish a task. We, we all have that when you finish any kind of task that you've been given, especially when you have half of a task done. You want to finish. Well, <laughs> what is the greatest task to finish? but that more holistic understanding of who Jesus is, what he came to establish, and how we are called to live in his presence. Is this not what we have been about here more globally on Seeds of Truth? So this is a a very fine point to meditate with because it certainly applies to everything that we do. So in his letter, (laughs) he wants them to understand, you have a partial understanding now I'm giving you the whole understanding. And be rest assured, I'm writing to you so that you may understand, and you will understand by the grace of God, that you can be proud of us as we can be of you on the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is this, the day of the Lord Jesus? Well, as the Saint Ignatius commentary highlights here, the day in question is the day of judgment, when Christ will scrutinize the thoughts, words, and deeds of all people and nations, certainly the day of resurrection, what we have been talking about, oh, for the past four to five months as we've been exploring Paul's letters to the Church of Corinth. All right, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are out of time. If you have any questions, comments, observations, please do not hesitate to send your email my way. Um, I have not decided what I'm going to talk about on Thursday for Special Topic Thursday, so while I do have some questions in there, Uh, Don't hesitate to send me more questions as I'm kind of discerning uh, what question or questions to take up on Thursday. I know a number of you have been responding positively um, and constructively. You know, you'd, you'd like more spiritual questions. You seem to be benefiting from that. And others, I do like the apologetic questions. Can you go back to some of those? So, we will kind of be doing a back and forth. I know as this program reaches a wider audience, there's going to be a wider array of interests. So I'm trying to touch upon all those interests over the course of months, days, weeks, and really years, right? We've been on the air for 10 years. So anyhow, do send me those questions, and uh, I will do my best in discerning what I need to talk about. And sometimes this is dictated by what is going on in the world, or maybe even sometimes uh, where you're at in the liturgical year. So so I do ask that you be present to that. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, an evening that you have given us to reflect into your inspired word. Heavenly Father, give us the grace to integrate what you have inspired in these pages, that we might become the best version of who you are calling us to be. We pray through the intercession of Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen, and God bless you.